0: Howdy and welcome to the Feed Bandit Podcast, where we talk all things hunting and introduce you to the most innovative hunting gear and services. Here are your hosts, Jimmy Byrne and Richard Kinchlow. Howdy folks, Corn Bandit coming back at you with another Feed Bandit Podcast. Uh, wanted to, to first and foremost, before we get things rolling here tonight, to uh, apologize to all of our faithful listeners. Uh, I know we've been a little lax when it comes to getting these done, and we apologize. We've gotten your emails and your uh, social media messages and whatnot, and <clears throat> we are sorry. We are getting back on the uh, high horse, especially with the season uh, being, uh, golly, days away now, dove season, that is, just, just really, really cool. So again, we are sorry in an effort to uh, prove on that. We're going to start right here, right now. Uh, one of the, the things I like to do, <clears throat> you know when the, the seasons come or just really anytime really is is to read up on the on the sport that I love, you know and, and, and the animals that we pursue. And one of those obviously is going to be ducks. Um, one of the articles that I found and we posted on our social media, uh, I guess it was a I guess it was a couple days ago, was an article by Ducks Unlimited, their chief scientist, a gentleman by the name of uh, Dr. Tom Mormon. Uh, apparently wrote a, um, uh, did, not apparently, did write a really nice piece on uh, on waterfowl. And it's, it's titled, Are Waterfowl Migrations Changing? And uh, it really talks about a bunch of, you know, factors and whatnot that, that dictate when ducks decide to make the pilgrimage south and, um, <clears throat> you know, where they decide to go, what pushes them. Uh, all kinds of major factors in here. So I've got this printed out, and I've read it about twenty thousand times, and I seem to find something new every single time. So wanted to to kind of go through this with you all tonight, and um, I think it's uh, I think it's a really good piece. So go check it out. Again, it's entitled uh, "Our Waterfowl Migrations Changing" by Dr. Tom Mormon, um, and we've got it on our website. So. He's got it kind of broken up here, if you will, into into major sections. Uh, The first one's called weather, and uh, so I'm going to read little excerpts from it, and then uh, we can uh, we can talk about it. Um, So so really, he kind of talks about you know the effects of Old Man Winter, is what he calls it, and and how you know this really this really pushes all the birds north, And, and he's really saying in this that. Uh, we, he goes on to say, really, uh, with the exception for a few species that are hardwired for more dependable long-distance migration, such as blue-winged teal, my favorite, waterfowl are adapted to migrate only as far as necessary for them to find food, water, the, uh, open water, and places to rest. Uh, for some species, <clears throat> it may take several consecutive days of freezing temperatures and snow uh, and snow cover to push them south, while freezing temperatures and snow cover food sources, waterfowl linger. Uh, it's advantageous for them—big word, I guess—they speak French—for them to reduce the risk of mortality from migration and remain closer to their breeding areas, uh, especially for mallards and northern pintails. Uh, that was absolutely uh, fascinating to me because, you know, I was kind of under the impression that you know, a lot of the, the puddle ducks, um, you know, I, I knew that the T and I've always said that, you know, the blue winged teal being a puddle duck, <clears> that the first sign of, of, of cool weather, they're up and gone. In fact, just a couple of days ago here in, uh, here in North Texas, we, I think we were sitting somewhere about five o'clock at about 104 and it dropped to 77 with a substantial cold front and a thunderstorm. And I guarantee you some blue wing teal blew down in that, <clears throat> you know, from Canada, just kind of riding that uh, that, that cold front is, is kind of the way I like to look at it. So, you know, I've always known that the blue-winged teal, you know, they get their early start, they come into Texas, Louisiana, and then ultimately end up in South America. Um, I also thought that the pintails, the, the mallards, the widgeons and gadwalls and whatnot, being puddle ducks, that that they were not as susceptible to, you know, that first early cold. But, it, but I figured that you know, when there was a substantial cool, cool down or, or, or snow or whatnot, they'd get moving. But according to this, according to the experts, uh, that may not necessarily be the case. In fact, it, it sounds as though, you know, they're really only going to go as far as as they need to. And of course, that makes sense. Uh, it, it, it amazes me, you know, just it, some of these seasons where we have some more covered up in ducks, like 2000, uh, like last year, 2019 for me was, was phenomenal. I had a ton of ducks. Uh, both divers and puddle ducks. And it is amazing to me to think, you know, I had that many ducks in my little area of Texas. You can imagine how many were were north of me, right? You know, up in the other states where they didn't have to go as far. Uh, so I, I think that was a, is really kind of a, an interesting deal he wrote here. Uh, he also wrote, in fact, recent research publications, uh, publications that model both climate and bird distributions, Distributions indicate that by 2050, the core of Mallard wintering ranges may extend from Nebraska eastward to the Great Lake regions, uh, aka it sounds as though the, uh, the the Mallards and the Pintails may not have to go as far, far south because the winters are not as harsh. Uh, obviously, that would be uh, that would be absolutely devastating for for a lot of the the, the big greenhead guys out there. Um, you know, for for me, I've always been an equal opportunity killer. I'll kill just about anything. I prefer teal, uh, but you know, hey, whatever flies in my way will will definitely be there. So uh, very very interesting. Something else that, and this really did not have anything to do with weather, but could definitely affect the the, the bird population. I was reading an article. Uh, it was talking about Canada and Canada not letting. I, I this this is a horrible summation, but can't the the Canadian government wasn't allowing hunters in or wasn't allowing people into Canada because of COVID. Not not necessarily hunters. So they were saying that a lot of the folks that go up to Canada to uh, to eat the syrup and to wear plaid and talk like this, you know, uh, and to shoot a lot of waterfowl weren't going to be doing that this much. So they were talking about the Dakotas being absolutely jammed with with hunters this year. So it'll be interesting to see if that comes to fruition. And one of the things he talks about here is pressure uh, and the fact that the birds will definitely react to pressure and they will get the heck out of there um, if they feel it. So the, the next uh, subtopic we have here is called lands, Landscape Change and Variation. And um, he basically goes on to to to, to preach the story of the ducks and that's been saying since their creation that the past two hundred years the uh, the loss of habitat uh, wetlands has just been absolutely horrendous. Of course, as we all know, waterfowl organizations like Ducks Unlimited and Delta Waterfowl are doing everything in their power to restore wetlands. Um, obviously, that is that is such a key um, a key issue for for us as hunters. Because uh, you got to conserve the the bird that you shoot, um, a very very interesting little piece here. Um, trying to, you have to excuse me. I, I'm trying to read here and talk at the same time. But uh, w- one of the, the the largest areas that that, that he mentions in here, uh, the uh, wintering ground that is uh, that, that's really been devastated is the coastal Louisiana area. It says, uh, perhaps the most discouraging loss of wetlands important to wintering waterfowl have been in coastal Louisiana, where more than 40% of the state's approximately 3 million acres of marsh has disappeared over the past decades. Uh, large portions of remaining coastal wetlands have been invaded by non-invasive plants, including, uh, I have no clue, Hayat ta and giant salvia, which is not a, it's not a good food resource for the ducks. Um, it goes on to talk a little bit about here about, uh, as an example of Louisiana suffering, the uh, resident mottled duck, uh, which is a, like a black-looking duck uh, that's native to Louisiana and Texas, um, has, uh, had just hadn't been there the past couple of years. And, and they're talking about the decline of that species being because of this habitat loss. Um, you know, I, I'd be really honest. In, in my opinion, if there's going to be a habitat issue um, probably the best place to have it is going to be in, in Louisiana and Texas, and I say that because there are so many avid uh, hunters and waterfowlers in those two, two in those two states combined that that I am confident with uh, uh, you know with, with a little bit of help and a little bit of luck we can certainly we can certainly do some great things to restore those wetlands because uh, obviously Southerners in general, but Texans, Louisianans. You know, we really appreciate and we value tremendously those wildlife resources. So uh, I have I had to guess I'd say there'd be some folks that may be a little uh, a little bit a little bit upset about that piece but um, he's a doctor so I, I guess he knows what he's talking about right um, They also go on to talk about how uh, not only have millions of wetlands been destroyed, but a lot of other wildlife habitats have been converted to agriculture. Um, obviously, that's that's kind of as I always say, a double-edged sword, right? You know, and it 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 says right here, some waterfowl such as geese, mallards, pintails, uh, green-winged teal, wedge and wood ducks have learned to exploit uh, uh, harvest rice, corn, wheat, barley, peas, and lentils. Um, obviously, that's that's been a gigantic food source for them, and that's why a lot of places such as Lubbock, uh, home of the Texas Tech Red Raiders. And uh, in Amarillo uh, have become so popular, or have always been so popular, wildlife, waterfowl destinations because of the corn and winter wheat and the other uh, cereal grains, as they say, they've got up there. And it's um, it's become very, very popular up there. But, you know, they're saying that, I guess, that some of these ducks can't really adapt to them. In fact, I would have to say that probably the diver ducks obviously would not be affected by that because they're not... Uh, I guess it's not really what they uh, what they choose to eat per se. So uh, moving along huh and let's see it talks more about um, uh, yeah, so it also talks uh, and this isn't very good news for us down here in the south, but uh, it says uh, farther north there have been significant increases in the amount of corn corn agriculture, particularly in North and South Dakota. Iowa, Nebraska, and Minnesota, not historically a common crop in North Dakota. Today, corn has grown as far north as Manitoba, thanks to developments of varieties that mature faster in shorter, cooler growing seasons. In recent years, there have been up to 55 million acres of corn planted in the Mississippi River Basin, with millions of acres harvested wheat, barley, sorghum, and other landscape. Abundance of waste grains is available, available to migrating waterfowl, especially if it's not covered in snow. So what he's basically talking about there is that, you know, again, going back to what he originally started with, is the fact is that if if the, if the ducks and the geese don't have to go south all the way to Texas coast or into Mexico, wherever it may be, they don't, they're not going to need to. Uh, and they're talking about the change in these agricultural practices in some of these, uh, I call them square states, okay, that – South Dakota, North Dakota, Kansas, Minnesota and whatnot, that, you know, the birds, instead of having to fly, you know, I'm just throwing out a number here, you know, 5,000 miles, they only have to fly 400 miles uh, because they got everything they need there. So uh, obviously that that's potentially going to be a uh, uh, an issue for us uh, down here in the south. Uh, The next topic here is weather and landscape uh, interactions. And um, let's see here. It says changes in the amount of types of crops. Uh, and the trend towards warmer winters are likely enabling waterfowl to winter further north uh, or at least delay the fall migration. Uh, I can tell you an example of that. We were speaking to our friends at um, uh, Lifetime Decoys, I think it was I think it was last year, talking about, in fact, I I think, I think maybe it was the end of this year, actually, or excuse me, the end of last year, talking about uh, the duck migration and whatnot, and, and those guys are, are real big... Uh, 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 coastal hunters on the on the Texas coast, and of course, as we all know, and you think the Texas coast, what species do you think of primarily? What's the redhead? You know, the redheads being a diver duck, they love, uh, they love those marshes and whatnot along the Texas coast, and and he was talking about how, uh, because we just didn't have that that cold cold air to bring those redheads down, uh, all the way down there. That is, you know, they they just didn't have any, they just weren't there, and they normally show up in thousands. Uh, so. Now that was definitely uh that was definitely a, a weather caused issue. Now up where Rancho Bandito was, it was um it was, it was funny. It was quite the opposite. We actually were covered up in redheads. Just a just a really, really, really cool sight to see to to look out there and see all those diver ducks. You know, we get lots of um we get lots of ringnecks and sculps and whatnot, but you know, when the redheads get out there, they re- really kind of add a Add a color to the gray, uh, the gray, gloomy, uh, cold out there. Which, uh, given today, well, today was 93, so it wasn't that bad. But I sure like to think about that gray, and uh, and cold days on hot days such as this. So, um, the next topic is wetland rest uh, restoration, and it says in the past past 50 years, significant significant wetland restoration has occurred. Though the number of restored acres pales in comparison to what's been lost, yes, 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 That is very much so in my opinion—a glass half-empty statement. Uh, but you know, obviously, you're going to kind of get that. You know, when you read these publications, at least it's been my experience, they are produced by you know conservation societies. You know, they're you're, you're not going to hear, oh, everything is great, we're doing just fine, thanks. How are you? You know, because obviously they're out there trying to spread awareness and let about you know tell everybody what's going on. So. Um, anyway, that's that's just my little uh, my little opinion there, uh, but yeah, no, obviously Ducks Unlimited and um, you know on Delta Waterfowl and whatnot have <laughs> done a great job, uh, you know, in, in working with corporate entities and private individuals to restore wetlands and uh, to 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 really make a difference. And I, I, I tell you, in my opinion, it's kind of one of the, the frustrating things being a being a landowner myself that. You know, it's really tough for me to work on duck habitat. And that's because I don't have the ability to control water on on Rancho Bandito. I can't do it. I I literally have to do rain dances or I'd have to bring in some sort of, you know, eight bajillion ton uh, water tank system. You know, I don't have the ability to flood fields and do that kind of thing. So it's it's frustrating for me because there's not a lot that I can do, you know, I, I guess really... As a private landowner, when you can't control the water, and it's a great question for DU actually or Delta Waterfowl, you know what what can you do to help wetland restorations on you know on on your property on the you know the um, your hunting lease or ranch and whatnot? What can we do uh, besides donate money and go to the uh, uh, and buy dogs and all that kind of fun stuff? So um, I'll tell you that would be uh, an interesting. Interesting question to ask them. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna bypass that one. We're, we're gonna go to a good one. This one's called this one this one's called um, hunting pressure. Uh, this has been a big one that I've always talked about, and I I really think out of all the bird species we hunt, you know the the ducks uh, really seem to to react to the hunting pressure um, uh, the worst as far as the humans are concerned, right? Or for the people hunting them. Uh, and and I, I swear it's because those ducks are just absolutely smart as they can be. Um, and I've always said that, you know, typically in the beginning of the season, I go with a little bit bigger spreads and you can get away with some bad calling and whatnot. You know, by the end of January, I've got no motion decoys out. I've got, you know, three or four decoys out there at the most. I'm camo head to toe and I don't even take my calls out anymore. Absolutely not because the ducks are that skittish that, that I just tend to, 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 really screw it up. So um, here's, here's a little piece. I'm going to read this whole thing because I think it's really good. It says while hunting pressure is probably the least understood variable in waterfowl distribution equation, uh, we do know the ducks and geese do not like disturbance and will abandon heavily disturbed areas uh, for places where they can find food and rest. Furthermore, Hunting has changed in the past decades. Advances in equipment and technology have made it easier. Have made it easier to access nearly all places waterfowl are found. Uh, many hunters have purchased um, uh, purchased or, or or leased land um, that is intensely or uh, in in intensively yeah and sorry intensively managed to attract waterfowl for hunting, uh, leading to more often high quality habitat. Um, habitat on many landscapes hunters commonly use motion decoys and machines that that keep wetlands from freezing in cold weather Uh, regulations enable multiple split seasons and and any given state means the waterfowl are subject to more hunting pressure um, in mid-atlantic what mid mild mid no middle mid what i have no idea what that is I think it's mid-Atlantic, but that doesn't make sense, and southern states. Uh, the effect of this interaction of these, these variables are poorly understood. However, uh, the, the surest way to lower the quality of hunting in your favorite duck holes disturb the birds too often. Uh, ducks will simply not tolerate uh, intense disturbance while readily re- and, and will readily ro- relocate to other areas, sometimes far away. Boy, oh boy, that is uh, that is so true. I have, uh, you know, when I'm at Rancho Bandito in the winter for extended periods of time, uh, especially during the dry years, it's tough because, you know, I'm really limited on where I can hunt. And I know that, you know, if I go down there and I shoot that tank, um, you know, one morning... And if I say, oh gosh, I'm gonna go back the next morning, I, I'm looking at least a a half uh, the hunt will be as half as good. Now that is unless I've got you know a cold front coming through, you know, things of that nature. So um yeah, you really got to be disciplined. You don't want to shoot all those ducks out because I, I I believe, especially early in the season, that you know, if you get a shot at you know if you if you uh, you know day one, okay, and it's earlier in the season and you you, you've you've had some birds come in and you missed it or you you shot too early or whatnot. Regardless, they left. I, I believe that you know they'll come back that following day. You know, so long as everything's right and of course they haven't been pushed out further. You know, but if you continually beat up that that water and you're you're constantly there, uh, that is um, uh, that is that is definitely a um, an issue. Obviously, um, let's see here. The the next topic talks about. Um, the annual waterfowl production, I'll, uh, I'll summarize it for you. Basically, it says, uh, it, it says to achieve, well, I'm actually not going to, I'll read it to you. To achieve greater satisfaction from your hunting season, my best advice is to temper your expectation based on the waterfowl breeding populations and then temper your expectations further based on fall and winter weather, uh, to the north of your blind, um, yeah, so basically, what he's talking about is, you know, when we all—and I think a lot of waterfowl hunters, myself included will look at the numbers and say, "Oh, you know, the mallards are up this year," you know, and you you you, you kind of get to, you kind of get giddy and excited, you know, thinking, "Oh my gosh, well, we're going to have a bunch of we're going to have a bunch more mallards." Well, of course, that that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have uh, more mallards on your tank or on your lake that you're hunting. Um, really, when it all boils down to it, he he kind of concludes. And uh, that basically, he says, the waterfowl are very adapted to ex- to exploit highly variable variable environments, and that is part of what makes them such a worthy quarry. Uh, for those of us who love to pursue ducks and geese, the best the best way forward is to to provide quality habitat, minimize disturbance disturbance as much as possible, and hope for some help from Old Man Winter. Um, and and boy, that is the absolute truth. You know, I always talk about, uh, especially now, you know, there, this is, uh, this is, uh, you can call it late August if you want to, talking about dove hunting and I'm already looking, okay, what's temperature in Kansas? You know, did it go down 10 degrees? If it did, you know, maybe there are birds on the way, you know, but I, especially, you know, when it comes to ducks and apparently uh, Dr. Mormon did the exact same thing. He, he says that he hunts in Mississippi, but he looks at the weather forecast in uh, 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 in Saskatchewan, which is kind of crazy because, you know, he knows that when they got snow and all that kind of stuff that the, uh, uh, you know, that the birds are going to make their way south. So uh, it, it's funny with all the science and all the money and everything else that we put into understanding the ducks, you know, it's really, you know, what makes, you know, what makes ducks ducks are their, their, their basic needs and if, to make a good, you know, to, to be able to hunt them smartly, you know, we've got to think about habitat. You know, we've got to think about, you know, food and, and, and what they need to survive. And we've also got to remember that, you know, especially for us down south, that if we just don't get that cold weather, they're not going to be here. Um, and I think that article did a really good job of uh, pointing all that kind of stuff out. So, again, the name of the article is uh, Our Waterfowl Migration is Changing. It's by Ducks Unlimited uh, by their chief. Uh, by DU's chief scientist uh, Dr. Tom Mormon um, and I highly recommend you guys look it up. Um, you probably can can read it instead of listening to my gibber jabber but uh, um, anyways another great article and uh, looking forward to a great dove look looking forward to a great dove season uh, teal uh, spring teal seasons coming up darn near a month from now which I just cannot even tell you how excited I am. I'll be going to Rancho Bandito here shortly, and I am hoping that my main tank is not, not, not completely dried up to where it's going to make it very difficult to go after one of my favorite quarries. Uh, I absolutely love teal. They are a treasure, and the early teal season is just an absolute ball. Um, so we'll be talking more about that here in the coming weeks. So uh, anyways, folks, uh, that is it for me tonight. Uh, thank you all so much for your continued uh, listenership Uh, we really appreciate it and um, as always folks support your local feedstock thanks for listening to the feed bandit podcast if you like what we discuss on the show be sure to sign up to our email list to get even more killer hunting ideas tips tricks and exclusive deals on innovative hunting gear and services delivered straight to your inbox Sign up over at FeedBandit.com or simply by texting the word BANDIT to 33777. See you on the next one. And remember, support your local feed store.